Well, how about that extra music? <laughs> well, good morning. It's good to see you today. This past Monday in my discipleship group, um, Ian Simmons and I talked about a person of peace. And I thought to myself, I wonder when the Luke 10 passage comes up in our lectionary reading so that I can again talk about this biblical idea. And then on Wednesday, when I opened up my file to start working on my sermon in the car heading out of town, I saw that it was today. Now, just to be clear, I was not working on my sermon and driving. I was the passenger. So uh, anyway... The healthiest context for growth, development, and formation is through serving and loving others, and that takes place best through relationship. And this is the point of our gospel reading when Jesus sends out the 72. And then I would like to just briefly uh, remind you what Isaiah chapter 58 says. If you will love others, if you will rebuild the broken places for others, If you will shine light into dark places for others, your own salvation will break forth like the dawn. As Jesus said in Acts 20, it is more blessed to give than to receive. No wonder that Jesus is always telling us to love others. This is the fruit or the end point of discipleship. Otherness, for the sake of the world, loving others as we love ourselves. Jesus constantly challenges his disciples to get out of the how am I doing question. And it's worth noting how stuck inside this question the disciples get, arguing about who is the greatest among them and who will get to sit at Jesus' right hand once they um, enter into the kingdom. And Jesus interrupts their questions and tells them to become servants. He tells them to get their focus on loving others. In fact, he says that the most fitting summary of God's work in people is that they would love God with everything that they have and others as they love themselves. So this is the first challenge of discipleship, that we must move ourselves and those we disciple from the question, how am I doing, into the question of how am I doing loving others that God has placed and is placing in my life. There is a time and there is a place to ask the question, how am I doing? Unfortunately, though, this seems to be a major focus with many Christians, and it keeps us from um, focusing on ourselves and our own problems and struggles and temptations and thorns in the flesh and pains, and the list goes on and on. It might provide for us some good, healthy, and loving care, and I do think that there should be safe environments to reflect on these things. And if you know me, you know me very well. But I am a person that needs to process. I am a person that needs to vent. I need to have a safe person to discuss these things. However, this too often becomes our main focus. Discipleship takes place when we're able to move toward otherness. So think about our life. Who has God placed... And who is God placing in our lives? Who has Jesus given us to love? As I ask the question, faces immediately come to mind. I think of my wife and my child. I know that part of my discipleship, part of my learning to live and love like Jesus is loving and being faithful to them. I can't follow Jesus faithfully if I don't learn 
to live my life for them. And in doing that, we face our own disappointments, we forgive often, and we repent frequently in order to love well. Many other faces come to mind, and since this can almost be a bit overwhelming, I think it is helpful to think of these in three categories. And I know that we've talked about some of this before in other um, spaces. Uh, Number one, think about your intimates. Think about your family and your intimate friends, or for some it might be your roommates. Uh, Also think about your spiritual family, those who believe in and follow Jesus, the community of faith, our church family. And then third, think about our neighbors and our coworkers, including those who do not know and who do not follow Jesus Christ. We do not have endless resources in ourselves. We are finite beings with limits. And still within each of these groups, Jesus will place people in our lives whom we are to know, whom we are to love, and whom we are to to serve. And if the end point of discipleship is loving others, then the end point of our discipleship is already right in front of us, even if we aren't yet aware of it. So we want to ask Jesus Christ to make us aware of the people that he has placed in our lives to love and to serve. So Jesus invites us into an awareness of how the kingdom of God could break out all around us in our current daily walking around life, normal and natural routines of life where we work, where we live, and where we play. In fact, our second challenge with discipleship is that the church has often trained people to think of mission or ministry as an outreach event, an activity, or a task that we put into our calendar for a couple of hours, a month, a quarter, or a year. Now, we go, uh, this, um, we, we, we go to this mission program, and we could just fill in the blank, whatever that is, And then we cross it off of our to-do list. We fulfilled our missions or our ministry for the month whenever we accomplish it. And that's the way many of us have been trained or thought or practiced. Now let me state this very in very clear terms. I am for intentionally organizing our lives and putting it into our calendar in order to give time and energy away to others. And it is a beautiful thing. It can lead to a tangible manifestation of the kingdom of God. And in addition to this sort of intentionality in our diary, there is also an intentionality in our everyday life. Now, it is not an either-or, but it's a both-and. So the most important point I'm trying to make is this, that ministry and mission are primarily lived, not as events on a calendar, but as a lifestyle that transcends appointments or specific places. Jesus, as our example, presenced the kingdom of God with others as life happened around him as people appeared along his path. Now, when he encountered the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, he didn't say, well, hold on, let me check my calendar. Sorry, my missional activity is scheduled for tomorrow. Because he knew his father was always working, he knew that the kingdom of God could manifest at any moment. And he knew that he had to be prepared for it. Because he was aware of what the father was doing, because he knew that he could do nothing apart from the father. So he had to be aware of what the father was doing so he can join his father in what he was, what he was doing. And we've talked about that many times before. Same thing 
with us. So thus, not only must we move ourselves and those we disciple out of the question of just how am I doing into the question, how am I doing loving others, we must also move people from the notion of ministry primarily as an activity into an idea of mission as a lifestyle. So to do this, we will probably need to be even more intentional about what we mean by neighbors and what it means to be with and for them. Many Christians, after all, are very happy to just focus on loving their intimate family and friends and their church communities. And while these relationships can be complicated and painful, they are usually quite comfortable for us. And which is why Jesus cons- consistently provokes his disciples into loving and serving others who are different than they are, outside their comfort and familiarity zone. Oftentimes, it's easiest for the kingdom of God to manifest here. It's, it's critical for our discipleship that we aren't living in a Christian bubble. In other words, the only people that we know are Christians. It's part of God's design for our lives that we would know and love others, both within and outside our Christian community. So how then can we be intentional about uh, being with our neighbors and co-workers and recognizing where Jesus is at work among them. Now, our gospel reading gave us very practical theology for everything that I am talking about here this morning. Jesus, after all, has given them really practical advice. He tells them to notice and be aware when someone invites them in. This very practical act of invitation is a sign that the kingdom of God is ready to be manifested. So from this passage, we get the idea of what some people call a person of peace or others talk about people of peace. The idea very simply is that as we go about our journey in life, there will be people who don't know and follow Jesus who invite us to be with them. And these are our people of peace. We know they are people of peace because they like being with us and we like being with them. And we need to be aware, alert, clued in, switched on to whom is inviting us in. Because it's a practical sign that the Father may be, or more likely is, at work. So notice that this might be very different than the paradigms of evangelism that we have been taught in the past. Those paradigms are often less about being invited in and more about forcing our foot in the door. And I think many of us know what I'm talking about. Jesus wants us to be on the lookout for people who um, are inviting us in, people of peace upon whom we are to give a blessing of peace. Now, this is not door-to-door evangelism where we are fishing for an opportunity to tell the gospel story to people. And there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. But most of us don't or can't relate to that kind of evangelism. It doesn't feel natural and normal nor authentic. But the people of of, of peace idea in, in this passage is relationally driven. In other words, there's a real relationship, a real breaking of bread. And this is a powerful 
significance to in the ancient world and the context in which the text is written, and it's still the context today. I think we could ask our missionary who's visiting today, he could give a very uh, clear context for what's happening in Israel right now. Um, but, but, it, but, but I would contend that it, it's still important for us to understand this way of hospitality in the culture in which we live today, and it is the best way to reach the people of the post-Christian world. We get to be with them, not having all the answers, but honestly and openly sharing our experiences of life, of faith, of doubts, of Jesus. We get to ask big questions together about life, of death, of passion and joy, of pain and struggle in life. Maybe we get to sit and watch football or cook together while sharing a bottle of wine or a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you choose to drink, a glass of water. But we we get to do what Jesus did, enjoy life with others, share meals together, to be in one another's lives. We get to love and know them. We get to listen and serve them authentically. And we get to see what God does with that. Now, did you notice what I just said there? We get to see what God does with that. In other words, by serving and loving well, God will use that to open them up to spiritual things. The kingdom of God. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And some will turn toward Jesus and follow him and others will not. But how do we know unless we serve and we love and we listen well? Again, let me ask us to think about our life. Who are the people of peace that Jesus has placed and is placing in our life? Who are the people who do not yet follow Jesus? And yet, we have a good rapport. We have a chemistry we enjoy being with who's invited us in. God has adopted us as His own children. He made us living members of His body, ambassadors of His kingdom. And through His cross and resurrection, Jesus has shown us a way of peace that the world does not know, making us a body that resists systemic evil and speaks truth to power and actively works to dismantle the divisions that sin constructs in the world. And this is the hope that the gospel gives us. And this is what God is doing in the world. And that's why Paul said in our epistle reading from Galatians that if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast in the cross of Jesus Christ. An instrument of execution becomes for Christians a way of life and peace and hope. Don and I desire to live into this teaching and identify people of peace. We don't do it perfectly, but we try to live it. And as I've shared with you before, since moving into our neighborhood, we've, we've um, tried to be intentional about our relationships. And we've sat out on the porch, and as people walk by, we speak. And when we walk in the community, we speak to people. Um, Don has especially built a relationship with a family who, um, around the neighborhood who, who are not Christians. And she has shown love and served well in practical ways like feeding the cat and picking up a, boxes off the front steps so they don't get taken. And sadly, recently, they retired and moved into the desert. Um, and she still makes contact, and we're trying to find a time that we can have dinner together. And we we do this because we're called to love, and we've grown to love this family well. 
and we don't always we do not have the same values, but we're called to love them well. They have invited us into their life. We have numerous stories of people of peace when we lived in England, and I would love to share more of these with you, but I'm just going to share a couple uh, because time doesn't permit. We moved to Greenwich, London, England, and we didn't know anyone. We lived incarnationally. We built relationships with people at the pubs, coffee and tea shops, the green grocer, the butcher, everywhere we went, at the Cuddy Sart. We invited people into our homes, and these are non-Christians. And the fruit was slow, but God did something awesome. Some of these people became Christians, and others didn't. Uh, One family was Hindu, and we loved them dearly. And we still stay in contact, and we visit them when we are in England. Uh, They even came to some of our worship uh, services, and we went to their family celebrations I remember when we said goodbye, going into the newsagent where they were and weeping as we said goodbye because we loved each other. And they loved Kara. They loved Kara and they loved to take her away to the newsagent. They wanted to feed her a bunch of chips and chocolate. Uh, But anyway, that's another story. Um, They're not Christians yet, but the story isn't over. We met Christians and we did life with them too. And and I want you to try to to catch where I'm getting ready to go here. And as a result, we were welcomed into their lives and their peoples of peace. And as a result of being involved in others' lives, we are often welcomed into their network of friends, and they too become our peoples of peace. And they were invited to come to worship with us, and over time we saw people come to Jesus and become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. You know, in London, as you know, people lived there from all around the world, and there were pockets, there were Australians, and there were people from New Zealand, and on and on and on. And then those people would connect with the people of their country from time to time, and then they would invite us to go join them wherever they met, whether it was for dinner over someone's house, and then we got to know them. And then over a period of time, then we would invite them to worship, and then over a period of time of building relationships, they came to know Jesus. It was a beautiful thing. It was a natural and normal way of living. Another thing we can derive from this passage is that not everyone is going to like us or to invite us in. And that's okay. We're called to love all of our neighbors, but that doesn't mean every relationship is going to be equal, nor do we have to live under the weight of making it so. Nonetheless, we're called to love them anyway as this is the great commandment. And as we think about people of peace, it's okay if no one comes to mind at the moment, but now we can start praying about it and being aware of who our people of peace might be. Jesus wants to reveal this to us. We can begin to live with eyes and ears open to the whisper and the nudging and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This may require rearranging our life or our schedule. Now, I was trying to be polite when I said that. Did you notice I said it may require? I have a feeling that if we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, it's going to go beyond may, and it's going to be it will require that we rearrange our life because that is exactly what King Jesus does, and that's what the kingdom does. If we have no time to be with others, that's a very big issue. But there, but, but there is incredible joy ahead of us as we learn to organize our life around being with and for others. 
If we're willing to listen and see, we can begin to position our lives in such a way in order to respond to what the Father is doing. This positioning is what discipleship is all about. It's about rearranging our time and energy towards serving and loving others. And it will truly mean reorientation. It may mean doing things differently. It means letting certain things go from our lives so that we can have time to be with others in a new way. And it will mean, no doubt, setting our lives up so that above all, we may have time and energy to love Jesus and to love others. It's from this place that we can learn to be with people in a new way that manifests, presences the kingdom of God. Now, I'd like to just share in closing... Um, a few points that we find in our gospel text. Number one, the disciples are out in front of Jesus as ambassadors of his kingdom. And number two, at the same time, God is out ahead of the disciples. And Jesus clearly assumes that the disciples will be stepping into places where God's Holy Spirit is already at work. Number three, the disciples are not to try to control the journey or to manipulate results. They aren't to coerce hospitality, nor to push their foot in the door. Number four, instead, as they go, they are to be on the outlook for those who invite them in. And number five, the disciples are to eat and drink and remain in the places where they have been invited in. You know, when I talk about evangelism and mission, I try to talk about it in ways that seems very doable and practical because many people in our churches feel very intimidated by these words, don't, don't you? Don't we? I know I still do, and I'm a pastor, and I planted a church. I moved out of the country and did this. We have missionaries in our midst right now living out of the country, living a missional life. It does seem intimidating. But when we talk about doing this as a way of life and loving well, it becomes a lot more doable. And I hope that you catch that. We don't have to save the world, but we're called to know, love, and serve the people that Jesus has placed in our life. What a privilege it is to rearrange our lives for the sake of others. Do we have time for others? When we see people at the grocery store, do we turn around and go the other way or avoid eye contact? Do we find ourselves being short or irritable towards others? Do we have enough emotional reserve? Wow. Are we available and present? Or are we boundaried up or walled off? Are we kind and are we generous? If we're too busy, too anxious, too stressed, and too hurried to be with our people of peace or person of peace, we will miss the opportunity to live the great commandment to love God and love others. No guilt and no shame. It's not helpful. But let us rearrange our lives to identify and love our person of peace. Amen.